everybody, you're listening to The Bull and the Badger. It's this is a podcast about Asian American mental health. And hi, hello, I'm Vanessa, I'm the Badger. And I'm April, I'm the Bull. This podcast is an offshoot of Vanessa's documentary called The Laundromat. Yes, folks, it's my super intense uh, movie about Asian American families who don't know how to talk to each other. And uh, if you want to check out the trailer, you can find that at atthelaundromat.com. That's A-T-T-H-E, laundromat. And that's an O, not a Y. The documentary might be super intense, but we wanted to start this podcast to show that talking about mental health issues, especially ones that are specific to the Asian American community, doesn't have to be scary or sad. It can be fun and enlightening and interesting. Um, and a whole bunch of other adjectives. I think that uh, in my discussions with April, when we when we sat down and we did interviews about this documentary and with our upcoming guest, there was a lot of laughter in between a lot of the the tears and the 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 very hard questions that we ask ourselves about how we were raised and um, how we dealt with our own personal depression and and our own demons and things like that. So um, I wanted to now segue into introducing our guest, Christina Wong. I met her through the course of the documentary, but she's been she's been in it for a while. She um, we met because Anne Matsushima on my documentary um, had met her, and then everybody's like, wait you're doing a documentary about mental health. Why aren't you talking about to Christina Wong? I was like, who's this Christina Wong? So I looked her up, found out that she is amazing and funny and that she has a hilarious website. I contacted her. She got back to me right away. And then we, we did this thing where we sat down and we talked for a very long time. We discussed everything from ramen noodles and Roy Choi to, um, yeah, just, just dating and cats and, um, vagina pillows. So, (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah, we got to talk about that. So, um, I guess, uh, we're here to topically talk about dating relationships, but everything under the sun that I think comes to mind. So, uh, Christina, can you tell us a little bit more about like what your title is, what you do and things like that? Oh, sure. Um, so I'm Christina Wong, and I, uh, many things, I'm a solo performer, a performance artist. Uh, it was, performance artist was freaking people out because they were like, what, what does that mean? And um, <laughs> so I, you know, I, I, I own up to the, the comedian, uh, blogger and writer for a lot of different websites. Um, what else do I do? Just, I'm a reality Recently TV. Published. Yes, oh, yes. I'm a reality TV star. Um which is uh, what I'm most proud of. Most people think it's trashy and sad and career suicide. And I'm all like, yeah, I'm a reality TV star. So I'm on a show called I'm Asian American End, dot, dot, dot. It's on Mixed TV. You need about 7,000 channels on your cable plan to get it. But you can also watch my episode at Mix, M-Y-X dot TV. Uh, yeah, that's, that's dot TV. Yeah, so that's it. <laughs> And it's, uh, I'm dating a bunch of, I go on real dates with white guys with yellow fever and I seek reparations on each date. So it's pretty amazing. How do you find these guys? Casting helps find them, but they, um, uh, well, oh geez. See, look at this. I'm already breaking my NDA state. Thing that well, I yeah, I think. <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, people don't know this, but. But, but they, they, um, it was a combo of them, uh, like basically luring out dudes saying, you want to date a Chinese Chinese singer and actor and uh and that's <laughs> and they were like yeah and then they got me you, you didn't see that but I just high-fived <laughs> 
So, uh, yeah, I'm a reality TV star and uh, I go to schools touring my one-person shows and talking about my large body of work and and uh, I'm actually really happy these days. So, so it's kind of a good to uh, talk about really depressing subjects from this point of view. <laughs> right. Sometimes, sometimes it's like like out of sight, out of mind. And so like when people are like, oh, yeah, you know, like, how are you doing? And I'm like, when you... I. I'm working a lot. I don't know. What do you mean? And they're like, you know, like, how are you doing? Like, with depression? And I'm oh, like, oh. Because in your their minds, you're permanently frozen in that <laughs> yeah. persona. Is that why? I think so. You're just in your room, facing the corner. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's little mewling sobs. I don't know. Whatever whatever it is that, you know, helps. Yeah. Um, but uh, I think... Um, Sorry. It's okay. I was I was gonna ask. Okay, oh. Vanessa had a breakdown right now. I know. She, she's better. <laughs> it happens the right here on the happened. podcast. Um, actually, in, in, in I think when we talk about dating and relationships, I, I want to start talking about um, crazy cat lady, because that's my first thought when I thought, oh, who, you know, what we can talk about with it. But crazy cat lady. Is okay. That, is that is that cool? Like, yeah, I, that's I, a good starting point. I can talk about. Um, I made a show called Cat Lady, a play called Cat Lady. It was my first and maybe last ensemble piece. It was just, it was just a lot of work to make theater. And um, where that came from is so I've been touring Wong Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, the depression and suicide among Asian American children. I should have a button on my stomach that I press every time I want to <laughs> say it or like a button on my keyboard that explains it because I'm constantly typing and writing. And um, So that show I premiered in 2006. That was seven No, was it eight years ago? Jesus. Oh my God, eight years ago. And uh, <laughs> I keep saying seven and it really is eight. Um, and uh, in the show, I play a character named Christina Wong. And she says, hey everyone, I'm Christina Wong. And this is my show, Wong Floor the Cuckoo's Nest. It's about dep- suicide and depression among Asian American women. Um, you're wondering, is it autobiographical? It's actually all fiction. And, uh, and she goes out of her way to establish how the show is fiction by drawing the dramatic arc of fiction uh, on a overhead projector. And she says, we're going to check in with this during the show. And the show basically falls apart very quickly during the show and, 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 and becomes very unclear to the audience, is it fiction, is it not? And basically it's a metaphor for me of how depression and suicide exists in the Asian American community is that, is that because there's so little conversation around it, there's so much, I'm fine. Everything's normal around it. So much fictionalizing basically that that is what allows depression to persist and people to feel so alone and people not to go treated. So that was the, uh, <laughs> that was the quick sum up of that show. So I, so touring a show like that, which in ways as fictitious quote unquote as it is, it is very personal, and that sort of became my identity for many years. I was Christina Wong, the woman with the depression show. And, um, you know, it would put me in, in, in some very interesting situations where people uh, would treat me like I was, a, you know, I'm sort of like that safe space between a therapist and a friend, right? Like after shows, women would come to me and start telling me really intense things, and it was exhausting. And, I, you know, doing live theater and touring at colleges is not as glamorous as it looks. <laughs> Wait a second, I'm, I'm confused. So you sure. weren't, like, there wasn't a red carpet? No red carpet. people showing flowers? Sometimes I'd be performing in science classrooms, oh, and I, like, yeah. like schools couldn't afford to bring a full show, because I need to bring a technician with me to run the show. It's theater, it's not oh, yeah. stand-up. Oh, yeah, there's, like, there's sound and there's light. 
well at least a projector yeah. aspect or there's yeah sound there's light there's sound cues it, it, it it's not something i could you just throw me in a garage basically and i put it up it doesn't work that way i need a theater and uh, but i wouldn't always get theaters and it was just tiring i'd be my set is about 60 pounds of yarn in a bar, body bag and i'd be dragging that from city to city i was exhausting right and i was I became concerned that I would not be able to move on from that show. Like, how do I top this? Right? Because it's this, it's this mixed blessing, right? Where the show uh, is in demand, but it's in demand because this problem exists, right? And for me, I don't want to, I don't want my whole life to be about a depression and suicide show, but I wasn't, I was afraid, I, you know, lots of fears and paranoia happened. Like, I don't know how to top this. This is the best thing I've ever made. Um, and, uh, it was very hard to date and have a relationship while on the road all the time. It was very hard to tell people what I did for a living when meeting, like going on a date for the first time. What do you do? I'm a solo performer. What's your show about? suicide and depression among Asian American <laughs> women. And then I feel like I'm either reperforming the show or really embarrassed that I do it because, because you know, it's, I'm a walking red flag. I'm not only, I'm not like a well-adjusted, I don't think anyone is, but, but like, I'm not like, you know, a, a, a securely employed Chinese American woman. I'm a, like, I do this crazy fucking, I, I can say that, right? There's no FCC on this podcast. I'm a crazy <laughs> fucking show where I'm going around uh, talking about depression, which obviously must mean that I have something wrong with me. And so I was just dating like the bottom of the barrel, like bottom of the, like if you pick up a barrel and then dig a hole, like that's who I was dating. Like just. Wait, where were you finding them? Um, wherever. Like, there were people around me. They were people on the internet. Like, <laughs> mm -hmm. there were people on the road, basically. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. They were, uh, and it was just, I was just really lonely because that show really kind of rips me open. And it was sort of like after I just wanted someone to hold me. So yeah. I, I mean, it was like weird growing with that show because I'm on my, on the road alone. And like after a show, I'd be so depressed and I'd just be like, you come with me. I have a hotel room. Like, and I'm, I'm telling, people a lot right now about me, but I'm okay about that because I, I think I've come to a nice place in the year since. But, um, so I guess, yeah, I just felt very alone and I felt crazy and I felt like this is my identity and I felt like, I don't know what my life is outside of touring the show or what I'm worth. And, um, and so I come home to my cat from tour and my cat Oliver, who's now deceased. And he would, he would be so pissed off, uh, that I had been on the road. He would pee on my bed, pee on my clothes. And I was like, I'm turning into a cat lady. And then like Facebook, which is like, you don't need to go to high school reunions because high school reunions right. happen every hour, <laughs> right? On Facebook. And you see, like, cause I'm looking at marriage and engagements and uh. babies. And I'm like, oh my God, I have none of those. I'm just a woman. I'm like Peter Pan. Right. I'm like running around with the depression and suicide show. And oh my God, it's been five years now. It's been six years now. Like I'm still touring this show. About to be and so, um, so I, uh, I'm turning into a cat lady. I'm turning a crazy cat lady. I don't know how to get off the ship. I don't, and I just wasn't, I just wasn't sure what to do with myself. And I was obsessed with pickup artists, these guys who, um, who, uh, 
take workshops. A lot of Asian men pay pickup artists lots of money to take their workshops and basically learn how to go into bars and like you learn things like openers and closers. It's almost like choreography. Like learn, it's like like actor training in the game, nagging the game. Like Neil Strauss is the game. That's the book that I read. And then there was a VH1 reality show, and I became so obsessed with them. And I I didn't understand why. Like from a feminist point of view, it's despicable, right? Like these men who who learn things, but I, I don't necessarily, I was, I was both totally grossed out, but completely fascinated because I think part of me wanted to learn how to pick up people on the road, (laughs) but also I felt like this weird parallel of my life performing a character named Christina Wong, getting people to think, oh my God, oh my God, her sad life. Or like, oh, she's really like that. And getting them to stand up at the end of the show and then, and, and, and believing this thing about me. And then, uh, and these pickup artists, same thing. They go into a bar, they get, thank you for this tissue. I'm, I'm totally snotting all over this mic. But these pickup artists similarly go into bars, they pick up women, they sort of perform this confident character, they have sex with them that night, and then they move on and do the same thing over again the next day. It's like they're doing a show in a bar, I'm doing a show in real life. So they're, they're, they're asked to have a persona then. Yeah, the, well, they're not asked, but they, <laughs> they develop a, this, these personas, right? And I'm develop. I, I was basically, it's very, it's kind of scary. Like, I don't know if you're dealing with this with your documentary uh, where, you know, um, you're, you've, you suddenly become this public persona of, for me, it was Christina Wong. That girl does the depression, depression show. It's funny, but, you know. But man, it's dark. <laughs> and, and some of the Q&A questions would be so upsetting. Like, oh, wow. I would think that they would ask about the craft of the show and stuff, and people would just go right. It's like they had license to just j- ask me insane stuff, like, how, much, like money, how much money do you make? Or <gasps> oh. uh, how do you make money doing this? Or what do your parents think? And it's like, I just slaved on stage for an hour. You have no questions about the show. Like, oh, So wow. it was just a very invasive and hard process. Cunies are the worst. Yeah, or what happened and what didn't. Uh, were you really molested? Like really crazy. Like why, why are you not satisfied with the grayness of whether that, cause it's supposed to exist as sort of a gray area on stage. So anyway, cat ladies. Yeah. So I felt like I was becoming a cat lady and I felt like in a weird way I had some, something like, like a sort of empathy for these guys. And not that I was trying to you know, don't, don't have my criticism as, as a feminist, but I felt like how, when does this end for them? When does this, when do they decide I'm sick of being a player or playing all the time and settle into real life? And how do I go about doing that? And, and for me, I was having the same question, like, when am I going to put down the show and move on with, with real life or have a relationship that is honest? And, um, so I made a play called Cat Lady, which was about that. It did not tour as much as Wong for the Cuckoo's Nest, um, I found that like a lot of venues that were really supportive of the Asian suicide show were more like, huh? By the more abstract meta show of Cat Lady. It was also a lot more expensive because I had to bring... Um, sorry, I'm crotch shot. I'm like trying to cross my legs at this... On you, the couch. you guys didn't that's get why the money shot. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, so I guess that's, that's what I... I, so much of my life was with the last years because the cat lady doing cat lady. I, I thought that was just going to be a funny show about cat pee and pickup artists, but it ended up getting really intense and really deep. It tapped, it tapped into a, a horrible relationship I was in four years ago. Um, I wish I could just give out his name and address on this podcast. You, you like, gave it out on my uh, duck. You totally did. <laughs> you're I, like, did. I forgot. You're like, I will confront you. Just 
I know. know. Well, I give it out during the show, but he was, I mean, I just, I think was at this place four years ago when I was on tour. I would just, I I had this fantasy of like, why can't I, I I, I guess from seeing other women who seem to marry someone stable and were able to just be artists. Cause it was like, it's a haul man. Like to, to like fundraise for your own work, then write your work, then put yourself out there all alone. And then if it does well, if you're fortunate enough to, it does well, it's like, you, like, I think it's a hard thing being an artist because sometimes the market, you know, like, I think there's a time when I wanted to put that show down, but I couldn't because I had bills to pay. And I still believed in the show, but I just, it was, it was hard bridge because I'm not, you know, I'm not rich. And, and, <laughs> and that show was, I don't know, it was, it was a hard thing to retire from. And I've made like, t- you know, two new shows since, and I'm making a third new show. And I, I, I finally, after years of saying I need to transition, I need to transition, I finally feel like that is happening. But it was very, very I think it's hard. happening really quickly for you, it too. Is. It is. It, it's happened since July, since I wrote this blog about uh, on ExoJane. Uh, no, before that, the, the like 10 whack things said by Asian fetish guys in denial. And that... Um, I, we're talking about the shitty dudes date. Like I was just dating guys who very clearly had uncomfortable Asian fetishes or just weren't able to talk about race in very, uh, reasonable ways. Like I think, or, and in ways would like they had long history. I would find out like after the first day, I'm like, Oh wow. Like you only date Asian women. But I just sort of would be like, Oh, just, I don't care. I'm so lonely. Like I just didn't care. I, I mean, and a lot of it was the circumstances of the show and just, just almost wanting to feel like I lived in a world that was separate from having to talk about race. But, you know, you can live in that world. But I think after a while, you come up against a situation where you have to address something where your dignity is not being acknowledged. And and that was the situation where I was, I went on this date with this, I was dating him for a few weeks and, and it was after the Zimmerman trial verdict actually. And he's a white guy with tattoos and the long history of dating Asian women. And at that point I was like, this is not going to work. He's a loser. Like I got to, I got to step Asian on. Asian tattoos? No, he just a racha bottle tattooed on his arm, which, which was, had like chili misspelled on it. <laughs> Fucking loser. <laughs> loser. And, um, and he writes this thing in his wall and he's like, the standard ground law. This uh, it means anyone could be shot. Uh, Trayvon was shot because he's black. I could be shot because I have tattoos. And I was just like so horrified that he would compare himself, compare being a white guy who chooses to have tat- ugly tattoos tattooed all over his body. Misspelled tattoos. Misspelled tattoos. Compare that to to being born and and being black in this country. Like it's, that's the point is I think we're constantly talking about or like, I feel this happens a lot with white people. We're talking about races. If everybody is equal, but we're not right. And, and, um, and, and I, I, we need to, you know, that's the goal is, is to have a place where everybody is, is equal, but to get there, we have to acknowledge that it's not equal. And I'm not trying to say that I know what it's like to be a black person either, but I, I think that that is, it just felt really grotesque to me, right. To compare 
you're you know that, that oh who, who wants to sh- someone's gonna shoot you because you have ugly tattoos right not i don't know what you're trying to imply but i just i just felt that was really gross and and i got and and then uh and then on facebook he announced that he was with this he's in a relationship with another like with a chinese woman and i was just like this is disgusting like i am sick of like people because i i asked him about it and he's like oh i don't you have a white fetish and it's like no that's not how this works. Wait, like he like for uh, real said that. Yeah, and I don't. I I totally don't. But it's also uh. like how can the cultural majority how, how can a cultural minority fetishize the cultural majority? Right? And um um so I basically I wrote this blog 10 whack things said by Asian fetish guys in denial. And it wasn't about like white people shouldn't date Asian people. It wasn't about all white people are bad. It was acknowledging these, these moments of white privilege that are not being put on the table and that are not being acknowledged and um, acknowledge these like statements that people say when deflecting they're, like if you want to freak a white dude out, like ask him about it. And, oh god, oh god, like it's just like it's kind of fun actually to watch him melt down. And but the, but some of the responses are so awful that it's just like okay, now we have to talk about this, right? Well, and I've I, heard uh, them all. I, you, I dated heard- a guy who uh-huh. was quite similar to that. He did not have tattoos, but he was a uh, libertarian. Oh, I did too. Mm-hmm. An Indian. I dated an Indian libertarian. Yeah. Well, he was a white guy, and uh, he said to me. He liked to provoke me to talk about race and yeah. stuff like that. And he would say, Let's get there's em. no such thing as social justice. <gasps> That's awful. And I was like, what are you talking about? And he said, just like, we we can't assume that we what we consider justice is justice for everybody and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, well, because they are operating under... Libertarians, <laughs> you know what I think is, uh, I'm try- I had a really hard time understanding libertarians. I think the philosophy makes sense in a world where everyone starts off as equal. Yeah, exactly. It exactly. doesn't make sense right. implanted yeah. now then, where everything is so uneven. And then along the same lines, this is not racist, but this is sex, he would tell me why he thinks that it's fine for women not to be hired for jobs that they're equally you know, capable of doing because maternity leave does take them out of like whatever blah 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 and all this stuff and he's like i don't think i don't see why there's anything wrong with that and i yelled at him for 30 minutes and i said if you think that there's nothing wrong with that you're living in a fucking fantasy world and you can drop me off (laughs) he was like oh okay yeah okay yeah no let's just agree to disagree i'm like yeah okay (laughs) and i seriously walked in on him watching asian porn Oh no! No! That's me clapping for all the douchebags in this uh, world who, who are in denial about their Asian fetishes. It's just like, it's just a basic concepts need to come forward. You have privilege as a white person. Right. This does not mean that you woke up one morning and someone handed you a bag of Cheetos for free. It just means that you're able to pass, and yeah. and, and and you are the, the the default in literature when you when you're reading a book of literature, and if the ethnicity is not named, you assume it's a white person. You know, right. like you you are by default the person with power. You have lucked out in right. in the DNA lottery, right? right? And so. Um, and and to but you do not recognize the systems because you are of the system. Yes, you know exactly. You, you, benefit, you are not like exactly. you benefit from um, white supremacy, right? Whether or not you own slaves or you are poor now, mm-hmm. 
you you benefit in subtle ways and are able to pass in subtle ways. So, um, so I wrote that blog to address it and create this whole firestorm because, of course, no one reads on the internet. They go, ooh, ooh, and then tapity tapity tapity. This is my impersonation of every email. I go, oh, I'm not racist. Oh, do I have an Asian? And then all these men, like, if you are writing someone you've never met before and say, do I have an Asian fetish? You lack the self inquiry. You lack so you lack so much self inquiry. Yeah, you have one, and you're probably a racist, right? So like, if you are not able to read it and do any self inquiry, <laughs> and and you feel like you need to defend yourself as some sort of special human being, then you've completely missed the like the the concepts I've put on the table. So anyway, so that went viral. I ended up on uh, totally biased on FXX. I just watched that. Yeah, just watched that. I got canceled a few months later, but. Um, <laughs> but the clip is still online. And I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting because I never thought the Asian fetish stuff, I, we're kind of going off a little, I don't know from the mental health stuff, but, but that was something I tackled 14 years ago on a website I made called bigbadchinesemama.com, which is a fake mail order bride website. I was pretty exhausted three years into that. And I was like, the website is still there. It's still floating around the internet. But, um, yeah, had I knew that that was going to be what kind of re-kicked my career in a gear, I would have been like, let's see, let's call this out again. But yeah. it's interesting because I'm, I'm finding like after 14 years of making work professionally as an artist, like all these new audiences are finding me for the first time and and I have a whole store. Like right. <laughs> I went from having a mom and pop shop to like a Sears, a three a three level Sears with like furnishing. There's definitely an escalator. Men, he has an escalator <laughs> and like, what do you would you would you like an environmental show? Would you like a mental health show? Would you like a show about cats? Would you like you know like I just well, that's the thing about all these issues, yeah. right? Is like they don't go away. They stay. They persist. They the come medium in different changes. forms. Yes, the medium definitely changes, and then. You know, like, and I think the voices, the number of voices increase. You know, like, or, or the our generation awareness. is maturing. Yeah. And yeah. I think, well, I don't know about that, but <laughs> I hate millennials. But I love, I love millennials. But I hate millennials. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, uh, I, I think, I think it is interesting because with the internet now, more people are able to have a dialogue that was only happening in Asian American studies class. But I also think that racism is more buried, and we're struggling because we have a very archaic definition of what racism looks like what sexism looks like i think people think that racism looks like a white guy walks in a room and says hey you negro or like you know hey chinky chong chong like they think it's just about slurs and it's so much about uh who has access to public health things so it's like when i talk about we have to acknowledge that things are uneven the example i bring up is is in mental health services is that if that that there's certain communities you got to understand don't are not going to access a mental health flyer the same way a white person who five generations of their family speaks English, right? Like if you've got a flyer all in English with a white person for mental health hotline, it's that much harder to reach an Asian American. And we need to understand that the way Asian Americans talk about mental health, if they talk about it at all or acknowledge it is so much different than, than a white person. So, um, so that's what this is about. It's not about like tear down the races, but I think we've gotten caught, caught in this sort of like this, this very utopic idea of mo- what multiculturalism looks like. And it's, it's supposed to be about everyone brought together in happiness and joy. Um, but what it does is diminish the inequities 
that that exists, and 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 I think it almost agitates those those inequities because it's still focused around a white center. Like when we think about diversity, it's like diversity through the eyes of a, a white person who's seen different things, but but not how. And this is not to say that all people of color. I'm sorry, I'm going off. <laughs> I just see you all looking at me like, yeah, 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 yeah. But like, it's not to say that people of color don't have issues with other people of color, but it's, you know, if we, if we, we need to, to, you know, the goal maybe is everybody holds hands. I don't know. But I think the goal more is to acknowledge the differences at the table and equities and how to help find the people who have the least voice in the room have voice in the room. So. Yeah. And I mean, I think like there's an acknowledgement of diversity and then what what happens then is like the inequality of uh, the differences, like saying this difference is better or worse because there's definitely like the majority view, like why are we model minorities? Because, you know, like we are able to access the academic system in a specific way. Mm -hmm. And so like there's all this BS about whether or not affirmative action helps Asian Americans. Mm -hmm. And that's not the discussion, does it not? It it's supposed to help everybody. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? And and you know, like people have different views on affirmative action. But 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 before we go too far down that way, I I also want to talk about um you know, when we when we think about uh, dating and relationships in general um, and the way that we decide to go about it, mm-hmm. I think we also have to acknowledge the fact that I've, you know, like, I never heard too much about, like, what are the rules or how to go about it. And mm-hmm. it's it's very much like, don't do it till you're, like, 30. You're not allowed to date till you're 30. You know, you know like, things like that. I wasn't like allowed that. to date till after I had grandkids, so I don't know... <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> so, my mom actually had me via immaculate conception. Oh, and, right. No. And, and um, I, you know, as much as I'm Chinese, I was raised Puritan. So that's <laughs> exactly <laughs> chastised with like I don't know what, but like it, that's. Th- I think like when we start the conversation about dating and stuff like that, and your experiences with that, and we talk about cat lady, I think. Um, for for all of us in the the room and those you know listening like you also have to acknowledge like wait what what were even the rules like what what were the rules growing up and you know like how did we figure that out eventually i mean that was what's so fascinating with these pickup artists and talking to a lot of interviewing these asian men who are pickup artists is, and, and were taking workshops and a lot of it's because they had no models for men as asian men especially there were no models of of masculine asian men in mainstream media there were their fathers and then they're you know mainstream media depictions of Asian men, which were, you know, you've got Bruce Lee, but like, <laughs> you know, there wasn't much. Let's also acknowledge Russell Wong. <laughs> and Russell. Oh, Russell. Mm. Yep. Let's just take a moment. Mm. <laughs> yeah, can I Wong. please be in that Ikea commercial with oh, you, I making know. love on that Ikea bed I with you, know. Russell Wong? I said, why, Russell? Why? <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, wait. I, I am unaware of this he commercial. Was, he, was, he showed up again on Ikea, Ikea commercial yes. in a kitchen, like, yeah. An Ikea Wait, kitchen. Making love in the kitchen? No, no, no. No, that's my version of the commercial. <laughs> is I'm on the stove and we're and the stove ain't on, but it's hot. That's the fever so daydream that <laughs> came from the commercial. That's the Ikea dream. <laughs> wow, yeah. But go on, sorry, go on about pickup artists. And- um, but yeah, that, that, that uh, you know, I thought it was, it's interesting because I, I, from a performer's point of view, what is interesting is they literally have to be handed scripts almost. They're paying basically to be handed a script of how to, what character they are and how to behave as a single man looking for women. Because there's, cause the, you know, there's arranged marriage and a lot of, you know, 
this young generation of Asian men aren't doing that, you know, for, for obvious reasons. And, and, uh, and otherwise they're just out in the world. And a lot of them are dealing with women saying, well, don't Asian men have small dicks, which is not true. <laughs> I have photo proof on my iPhone, <laughs> but, um, for posterity. Of course. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, anyway, so I, I just found that fascinating. Well, I, I mean, like I, I, I remember reading that, Wesley Yang article um, about uh, paper paper tigers tigers responding to you know um, battle cry of battle cry of the hymn of oh the tiger mother tiger mother yeah (laughs) I don't I I didn't read his article so you have to tell everybody what oh it's a really great article actually did you like it what did you think of it I I thought it was pretty good I think there's some things that are like but like basically exactly what you're talking about like. men but some asian men you know taking this class and like practicing practicing a script you know oh what he's kind a pickup artist contact are you he goes to, to pickup artist school yeah yeah oh, he actually okay. talks to them and yeah. i mean it's the whole thing about like they don't even know how to smile correctly and that was like what mind blown because i mean there was a sense like growing up like one of the worst people to date is Asian American Christian guys. Oh. Okay, so no, no offense, Jeremy Lin. <laughs> yeah, no offense. You're Jeremy. the exception. You're to the, the exception. Rule. You're probably a gentleman, and you know how to like treat a lady so, right. I feel like when I walk in a room, it's like I look like I. I feel like I look like what I look like right now, but I feel in their eyes, it's like Satan has walked in. <laughs> so that's why it's more my insecurity. It's nothing about your faith. No, but it's, <laughs> it's, it's and it's it's but it's like there's this judgment. There's also like this idea of like. Like, oh, date to marriage? And it's like, why can't we date to get to know each other? What What about that? But the actual, the idea of they can't, either they they smile too often or they don't smile enough. Mm -hmm. Because they don't know contextually how to emote. Like, and that was part of what the article was about. Because they don't have access to their emotions in ways that, I mean, even most you know, males in Western society mm-hmm. don't, but even more so for Asian American guys. And mm-hmm. I'm wondering if you found that to be true when you were, I mean, doing your on the ground research with these pickup artists, like, Oh, uh, I was more fascinated with these guys who were, uh, there were two Asian men who, who I kind of focused on who, who teach specifically Asian men to, uh, to, to pick up. And, um, I think it was so interesting because they're so not attractive. Like, by any, like, open-minded definition <laughs> of what attractive looks like. Even their mothers. And they, I mean, they're kind of, they just, they're kind of jerks. But uh, even though one gave me money for my Kickstarter, thank you. Uh, but anyway, uh, but they, uh, I, I think what was interesting is I could see, I, you look at them and it was, I think what's so fascinating to me is I could see who they were in middle school. Like, it, it wasn't like a dramatic transformation it's like i could see that fobby kid running around the playground with floodwater pants like you know i um and i think seeing that sort of vulnerability in them and from my pov was what i just found really fascinating Mm -hmm. uh and what i was interested in trying to tap into in the play was this the sense of what they were trying to escape or what that that so much of them performing was tied innately to what they were trying to get away from every single day you know um i don't know what else to say about that (laughs) no i think um one other interesting thing you brought up is like the idea of performance during dating and i think like april you and i talked about how you wanted to stop kind of um like going into a situation and performing you know and you're like this is me 
this is it. And I'm wondering, like, what? How do? How does one even start that process? Like, of course, you have to get your mind wrapped around it. But then, like, what does that even look like? It looks like many failed relationships. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what it looks like. Many failed relationships that have come from the PR version of yourself. Yeah. And two par- two PR images just like, you know, linking together and then 3 months later it's like, oh, this is who we actually are and we don't actually like each other that much, yeah. you know. Um I mean, I, it's not like I go in and I'm just like wearing like sweats and I'm like, look, this is me, you know. But, but that's what internet dating is is like yeah. we are all performance artists now, right? Right, right? because you you can carefully construct Right. The images that you want to present yourself with, and the, and those images carry a baggage with them. I know when I was internet dating, I was looking at the backdrops, the dogs in the photo, like trying to get a sense of the community. And I I missed the mark so many yeah. times because yeah. I was single for many <laughs> years. You know, like oh, this this uh, German author, like I like he is imagining this like faux thing fantasy right. world around him that I would become part of, and and I'm sure they thought oh like an Asian woman, and then I'm like bye bye. Hello. You know, Chinese actress and singer, you mean? I for I don't know. For me, you know, you're talking about a lot of failures. Yeah, I think I finally just came. I and my my online profile just became super long because I was just like I didn't want to waste time. Like I would deal like waste time with people who are transphobic or homophobic or Republicans or, um, and it was just like I'm just gonna put this on the table instead of thinking this person's going to change for me, which I did for many years. And it's just like, but I'm also not going to be ashamed of who I am any longer. Mm -hmm. I'm, uh, I'm going to tell them up front because this is, this keeps happening because they're looking for things to talk about. They'll say, what's your show about? It's about depression, suicide. And I just say, you know, I perform a persona of myself on stage and I'm, I'm here dating because I want a life outside that persona. And I would just put it on the table. Yeah. And I was scared. I was really yeah. scared to tell people that because I was just, I was really for many years just happy that someone liked me. Right. And um, it actually did a great deal of difference. And and I also just said, I, I, I'm sick of dating people who are just don't want to say I love you or just we're just sort of conveniently you know, using each other because we're right. lonely at night. And, and, and that's actually the, the big shift that I made uh, right before I wrote that blog. I was like, if I can't see myself with this person long haul, if, this pers- if I've worked my ass off, this person also has to have high standards for themselves too. Right. And, and, um, and that's when everything shifted. That's when that blog went viral. And, and you know, now I'm an, a reality TV star. But... <laughs> um, but I think it's about saying, uh, I don't know if you saw some of my recent interviews, like on Fusion, where I'm talking about like the statistic that Asian women are the most desirable online. Oh, yeah. I, yeah. It, White wait, males and Asian women. Yeah. Right? So I got asked to do this interview, right? And I and I was like, ah, oh, I don't want to do this interview because, they, because basically this data, Fusion, this network, they, they wanted to do a story um, about how this app called Are You Interested indicated that men of all races preferred Asian women online. And, uh, cause I know what they want. They want me to either, and there are, th- there are three tactics I could take here. One is just go, yeah, so what? Two is be like, this is bad, bad. And like have a little protest sign. And I have a fraction of four minutes. Cause it's me, the guy who developed the, the guy who works for the app and, and the host. And the third, which is no one has done before, which is go, Hell yeah, we're the hottest. We can do whatever we want, right? Why doesn't why hasn't any woman taken that perspective of like, 
if you if if you are statistically that that desirable, why not use it to your advantage? Why not <laughs> hawk a loogie on the first date and be like, you that still was... want it, bitch? You know, like why not lick up that, that loogie? <laughs> yeah, why why are we then so desperate? Why not think of it this other way? Like y'all want me line the fuck up? You know, <laughs> that that has so, been my my new like like it, you. I've changed my perspective. Like it's not it's not my job to impress you like you show me what you got yeah and exactly. i will say yes or no and that's what every woman needs to do don't be desperate like don't don't be content with with gross white guy in your japanese class like <laughs> following you out every day and whatever like <laughs> no for real like like yo you're an that's asian an woman image. you are a prize right and this is not to say that it's right, right. in the world but you know, you want to turn some shit on its head, make them work for it right. as you should, as any woman of any race should. Right. So, so that's, that's where, uh, I think as I get older, that's what I realize is like, I look at pictures of me from the past and I used to think I was so unattractive. I look, I was like, I have a hot piece of ass. Like, why was I running after dudes? Right. Stupid. Right. So <laughs> like I was, I'm so fucking hot. I should have just like, and so that's what the reality show is, is basically I go on dates with these gross white guys with yellow fever and I eat. I have them clean my house. I have them drive me around town. It's not too different than what I was already doing. (laughs) I don't know if I can pull it off again if I've got a date again online, but like, but, but I would, you know, I don't have a car. So I would be like, Hey, you mind if we just do a a taxi date? I got to get to my class. I seriously did these dates where they pick me at my house. Our date would be the length of the car ride, and then (laughs) that's awesome. It was awesome. I was badass, y'all. Like, like get it. Like, it's not gold digging. It's reparations. (laughs) So, yo, get it. Name anything. Like, for me, as a Chinese person, it'd be the railroads. So, like, I'm just going to get railroads for yellow fever and... <laughs> reparations, you mean. Reparations for, for, for the, the railroads yeah. and yellow fever. For yeah, sure. take that shit back. Take the power back in small doses, but especially free meals. All right? I've eaten so much food, y'all. I did it for you, sisters. I did it for you. Well, has that, like, even though they're recent developments, they're, like, they're everyday choices, right? So do you feel, like, the difference besides just, like, reclaiming things? Like, have you found health relationships to be healthier or even just your Absolutely. mental health? Just, like, who you, you know, are and your moments, self-esteem? I got married to myself when I turned 30, right? And 30 is that scary cutoff age for a lot of women because we go, oh, my God, that's, my, that's when my mom had me was at 30 and... That was a frightening thing. It was like, I have no prospects towards marriage. I don't have a baby. I don't I don't want a child. I don't think. I don't know. I asked Siri and Siri said that she couldn't help me decide whether or not to have a baby. Did she so. did she also say, Would you like a web search for that? <laughs> no, I asked Siri also because like it costs like ten K to freeze your eggs. And uh, and then it's like five hundred a year just to keep them frozen. And I was just like but I don't even know what I want. I want to run wild like a wolf. Let, let my brother turn out babies for my for my folks because it's like I feel like I feel so good, y'all. Like I feel so good. Like I'm finally in my renaissance, and I don't think I don't. I mean, not to say I would be unhappy if I had a family. I would be much more stretched for time. I'd be probably wiping a baby butt right now or something, and couldn't be here at this podcast. Um, 
but I don't know. I just feel really, uh, I, I when I got married to myself, it was in an Ethiopian restaurant and it was public and I was looking in a mirror and saying vows to myself. And that's pretty deep to look at yourself in a mirror in front of people and say, I promise to love you forever. I promise to be committed to you forever. Uh, I promise um, to, to not get angry with you. Like these are things we promised someone else. Have right. we promised ourselves these things? Right. And those five years were hard. Cause I was still touring the goddamn suicide show. <laughs> and I was like, I don't know what I'm doing and I'm really depressed. And so five years later, this last June, which is before everything happened, I had a public vote. I had everyone, uh, I just I, I wasn't sure if I wanted to stay married to myself. The anymore. internet weighed in, and the the what vote was, was it was positive. live, right? No, oh, it was oh, tied. It was actually <gasps> tied. I couldn't believe it because in the back of my head, I wanted everyone to rally around me loving myself, but they didn't because it's it was like I think she doesn't want to be married herself. I you know oh, or like oh that's because we were talking oh. about because it was a, a very for some people it was confusing because they were like what is she talking about she's what who came to this party and it was. It was a lock. It was in the middle. And so we brought my friend's dog in to break the tie. The dog sniffed the pile of votes for stay married. <laughs> so because of this dog, I married to myself. But I woke up the next day. I was pissed off because I was like, not everyone chipped in for food. And, <laughs> and how baby. dare these motherfuckers not like rally for me to love myself. And then I had a moment I was like, it's not up to anyone else to love me. It's up for me to love me. It's up for me to stand up for myself. It's up for me to say, you know, I don't know if re- I'm I'm a non-practicing Buddhist who reads self-help books, but I don't know if reincarnation exists. I still don't, right? So, um, so I'm just going to go at it at this point and say, I need to enjoy every moment. Every moment matters. I can't do things because it's safe or or whatever. And, you know, I, I, you know, I would tell anyone this, but I, I also have a 15-year cushion of work that I know how to pedal and, and work around. So it's, I'm not telling people to, like, go on credit card debt and, you know, go travel the world. Maybe you can if you want, but uh, it actually seems like a good way to, to go at life. But, <laughs> you know, but like, you got to... You got to know that nobody can love you more than you got to love yourself. Like that person's going to got to do things. And if they love you more than they love you, then that's, that's not, I don't think that's a healthy thing because you have to have your back at the end of the day. And I think that's the moment I had with that, uh, the marriage re-ceremony and, and, um, finally saying, you know, I'm sick of just dating people because I want someone around because I'm afraid because I'm bored or because I'm afraid I, I, I'm going to die alone. And um, I, I think I had a moment where I was like, I'm pretty satisfied with what I've accomplished so far. And I kind of am protective of that. I don't want to drag someone's needy energy into this. Do you think like that actually, like, like declaring that and like having to declare that to yourself every day. Right. Uh-huh. That, which I think is part of the, the hard thing of that process. It's just like, Oh, today I didn't do that. And it's not like the ritual of it, but the actual, like, I always call it living in it, like just acting on those things. And I'm wondering if it helps make you more vulnerable when you're dating or if you put yourself... And you said you have like a really long profile where you're like, this is just who I am. But even when you're meeting new people and dating, like, does it help if you're, if you're you know, loving yourself to be more vulnerable and to put yourself out there with people? Like, does that Absolutely. Help? I also got sober two years ago. So I stopped oh, drinking. Awesome. I was... a kind of drunk and I don't know I went to two AA meetings I was like oh this is a lot <laughs> a, lot, a lot of work where are the I'm, cookies so I'm, so I'm at the I know I'm like some of the study at home AA program a lot of a lot of AA people are probably really mad <laughs> but anyway the point is I, I stopped I stopped drinking and that was actually 
really good. And uh, I've just be really honest, I think, with people because I was okay with it because I knew it's like, if they don't, I, I would, it got to the point where sometimes I'd go on dates and the guy would tell me a few days later, you know, it's not for me. And the old me would have been like, I hate you. I'm going to, I'm going to send a flaming bag of poop to your doorstep. How dare you reject me? And it's just, but it's also like, no, I should be in a world. I don't know why this was, this is such an obvious thing, but it was, it's hard to accept when you're young and vulnerable is like, if, if I really think this is a cool person and they believe that I'm not the right person for them, I don't want to convince them to like me. Right. I don't yeah. want to, to to bait them into liking right. me. Like, I should just be like, okay, great. You've made a... I, I should believe that you have the, the, the capacity and the knowledge in your head to make a decision that it wasn't going to work and then walk away. And I should be able to accept that and find someone who does fit me, and even he, if it takes a long time. He did you a favor. Yeah. Yeah, without dragging yeah. it on forever. Yeah, so... um. So yeah, I mean, I mean, I guess that's where I feel it's like you know what helped me get there is watching um, celebrity rehab and <laughs> and, 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 and couples therapy on VH1. And you know, these shows are so exploitative and they're really bad for the subjects. But really, I learned a lot watching other people right. go through therapy. Intervention. That yeah. show, it's, it's actually <laughs> off the. Hizzle. Yeah, because a lot of it is like, I mean, a lot of it is like oh, crazy fights. But like watching the therapy of like. This person, like, you don't want to be in a relationship where someone has guilted you to stay there or where someone is crying and I'm going to hurt myself if you don't stay. And unfortunately, that's a lot of relationships. And and uh, it should be two people who are healthy and happy who want to help each other stay happy and work as a team together, not not you know take power away from each other or swipe at each other and and i was i I was watching this going i can't believe i'm learning so much watching flavor flav and his secret (laughs) girlfriend who was hidden during all the seasons of flavor of love like go through therapy but you know oh wow i i need to see that episode first of all but second of all (laughs) something to be said about watching models on television like not models yeah. like who look at that you know like top model. <laughs> yeah top model no just tyra banks you should just watch tyra banks <laughs> but um like the someone modeling behavior and how that can help you rewire what you think or how you you do something specifically dating i mean like april do you have any examples of people that you think oh this person did it right and i'd want to try to mimic or or try to emulate any of that like like things i've seen on tv or things, things, things you've seen on tv or from other people where you're like wait this is actually like a great way to start doing that oh i don't know that's a hard question can you, yeah can you think <laughs> anybody? Um, because tv I mean, I is about polarizing of, personalities yeah i mean well maybe right. in your own like lives like your friends or community where you've seen like oh this person kind of yeah they really went about this in the right way you know like mm. ways that were helpful for you well I don't really want to talk about that much, but like my last relationship, he was very a very healthy, loving person, and it was probably the first healthy, loving guy that I had ever been with, you know. And so, I don't know, taught me a lot. Yeah, it just really takes one to like, kind of. <laughs> yeah, I think after my really horrible, I told, I alluded to a really awful verbally. Uh, abusive relationship I was in four years ago and it it would physically be intimidating towards me and I was really screwed up after that I I I began to think I didn't deserve like 
anyone being good to me and stuff. And I was, I dated just like the nicest guy. It was only four months. So nice. Like, and I, I realized how long, like as short as my unhealthy relationship had been, like he just would fly off the handle and stuff and, mm. and uh, over very little things. It was almost like watching someone out self emulate. Like one little thing was driving him crazy. The next thing you know, he's like screaming and yelling and I'd be like freaking out. And then he would start screaming and yelling at me, you know, like it was just like so crazy. Mm. And I began to think, because we were introduced through a then mutual friend who I'm not friends with anymore, who knew that this person was unstable, but that's another issue. Um, <laughs> that, that I was like, oh, you know, this is okay because we're in a community together. It's supposed to be okay. And, and, it, and it was not okay. Um, so to go from that to a really nice person who was just so generous and so nice, and it, was, it only lasted four months, but it was really wonderful to be like, oh, I, I'm being treated with respect and I'm with someone who actually knows how to control uh, anger and not take it out on someone else when they're experiencing it. So that was really, uh, uh, I could see how, how something like that can can really, it's rare, it's hard, because a lot of people screw it up. I mean, I, I feel like I can say up until like last year, I finally got into a better place about how I look at relationships and stuff, because I just, yeah. I wasn't sure what a healthy relationship was. Yeah. You know, especially when you grow up with a family or a community that's like not great with emotions and yeah. you know they wire you and how you, you know, how you should be experiencing a relationship, which for me, it's like, I don't really like people showing me any kind of like, you know, vulnerability, like yeah. guys, it's like, why aren't you like a man? Like, why do you have emotions? I'd say there it's like, it's like too extreme. It's like either don't have emotions or just be like the most helpless thing in the world and let me take care of you. Mm. Like I kind of go between the two, you know? And so I'm trying to like find the sort of middle ground where someone is like responsible and like loving and, you know, but in control at the same time, you mm -hmm. know? Yeah. I think, um, sorry, just, just to, since I, mean, I should answer this, my, my own question. Yeah. But, but, uh, <laughs> yeah what are you looking for? I think the same thing, like someone who's emotionally stable, but then it's like, um, I, you know, like I tend to idealize people. Right. Mm. So I always have to go in with like adjusting expectations because you don't want someone who's unstable, but you should also acknowledge that this person's like flawed. And yeah. I think one example for me that, um, like from the documentary, Julia and Chris, like I got a very, um, close look at their relationship because I was doing this documentary over the last like uh, I don't know, five, six years or whatever. And so when I met Chris or when we first started, that's, um, that's when they first started dating. So I got to actually almost like be with them and record on screen, like what their relationship was like. And, and, and through the course of doing the documentary and this like pseudotherapy and his mom having passed away, like really recently, I, I got to see them, go through that process of grieving together and like the support that they had and I think that she was there to help him access some of his feelings and talk it out and but at the same time like as someone who's more emotional and who can get bogged down like I think it was nice to have Chris who was like well maybe we'll come up with some solutions which which I think is a guy's default and it always feels awful but there's always this balance and this give and take and this idea of like figuring these things out together and not like okay well you're on your own or you know like letting him you know like 
I think, um, and and he's admitted this on camera, so I, I think I feel comfortable saying it. But he, you know, like he would escape a lot of times when his mom was sick. Sorry, they started dating around the time that they found out his mom was sick. So like she she she, she basically had cancer that you know um, was fatal. But um, so when they started dating, he would go to video games or he would do something that was distracting, and she was like maybe we should talk about this and he's like eh. and 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 so both the documentary i'm gonna i'm gonna give credit to the documentary mm-hmm. but also like ha- be, them being in the relationship helped both of them kind of be those better people that you want right you mm-hmm. want you want a relationship two flawed people trying to make like you said like trying to make each other help each other be better yeah. and be healthy happier and healthier and all those things and i think that's a relationship that I, I kind of like look to as like, oh, but I think it's really... people who are themselves wanting to make themselves better, mm. not only each other making the other person better. Cause oh, like like they're not each other's Pygmalion projects, but they're, they're you're saying like... Or like codependent, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, that was well, our therapy flash word from Let's see therapy flashcards. Really? Yeah. You got them? Oh my god. Is this a- <laughs> Can you talk about Oh the wow. There are fla- actual <laughs> flashcards. This is a relatively new little thing that we do. I bought those at Barnes and Noble. Oh my god. Are they how are they what we do? Yeah, how are they So supposed to be there's used? what there's a term on one side and then there's a um, description and illustration. And mm-hmm. It's kind of, you know, it's supposed to be tongue in cheek, but it, you know, it's a lot of terms, a lot of therapy terms. Uh-huh. So you will choose one um, and you will read it and you'll talk about how it relates to your life. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. It's going to be scary, but fun. Intervention. Uh, intervention, the action or process of intervening, action taken to improve a situation, especially a medical disorder, characterized by need for intervention, erratic behavior, substance abuse, denial of addiction, rage towards others. During an intervention, people gather around, reading of letters, emotional behavior, hugging, rejection of hugging, immediate escort to a rehabilitation center, I'm only laughing because it's that's it's it's written so plainly. Like, yeah, it's, it's, it's like, much more dramatic <laughs> yeah. and traumatizing. Oh my god! Um, after an intervention, rehab, or further denial, uh, and the question is: Is it appropriate to bring wine to an intervention? Um, <laughs> I think it's really. Well, I think what rung to me is an action to improve a situation. Erratic behavior are some things uh, that warrant a need for intervention. So I'm a performance artist, right? So in my 20s, I I basically watched things play out, but on a stage that that were completely erratic, like people dressed in insane costumes or talking about really intense abuses that had been experienced. And and I think that's why I was drawn to performance art, um, because it felt like, very early in my 20s and then and then it shifted very quickly to being like huh um but it was like wow i could just process my shit on stage and get paid like i don't know where i thought either was a smart idea but this idea that like the audience will just take on my grief for me and they'll just sort of coddle me and applaud me and enable me and um yeah, I kind of wish that someone. I think people did try to I- intervene with me during Cuckoo's Nest, but you know, there. It's the thing is, I'm a solo artist, so it's not like I think if I was working with a company of people, I'd have more people to call me on my shit. But it, rather, like in LA, which is also very lonely, it was like all I had was me, and then people asking me, "So how do you tour your shows?" Like people like trying to pick my brain for you know oh, work advice or yeah. whatever, and then how do I make a profit off? Of yeah. This thing? <laughs> 
and I'm just like, I'm alone. Like <laughs> someone drag me out of my house, please help me. Um, yeah, I mean, I, 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 intervention means a lot. I can't think of a very specific intervention. Have you ever I've had to do one for someone else? I, I've called people on their shit and probably not in the best way, like on Facebook, which is probably not great, <laughs> right? Because it's public and, and humiliating and, um... Well, calling people out for racism or... Yeah, there, but I, there was a situation where, um, I don't know how specific I, I, I mean, I... You can I, keep it vague, yeah. <laughs> well, there was a person I knew, uh, uh, who's an Asian sex worker and, uh, has a has a master's degree in education and is educated and, and in ways is is able to contextualize the poli- the, the politics behind that work but but it was very hard for me as a friend to witness um things that that she was even struggling with like being robbed at her job or assaulted and you know basically the client not paying and um and 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 then always being broke and and trying to make a, a hustle with it and uh and i i wish i didn't intervene on facebook but i had tried to intervene with phone calls and i just felt like it was getting to the point where she was asking people to give her money and i was like i cannot do that because i feel like if i give her money this is just going to let her continue the this situation and mm-hmm. and i'm i you know okay this is the career you've chosen all right but I I feel like this that that you clearly you know you're not making money at it and you're in a situation where you're experiencing violence and you're too close to the situation too close and too exposed to the situation to um but and I I just I think I it was it was an intervention but I also felt I was getting really annoyed and angry because I felt like nothing I was saying in nice terms mm-hmm. and I think that's the thing with interventions is there's nice interventions, but then sometimes there are situations where you're interviewing with people who can't hear what's happening. And so I called out a few things publicly on Facebook about like, you keep blaming the man for your issues or, or this and that. And it's like, you, you have everything else you need at your disposal to do something, another career. Why are you not doing it? Right. And, and, um, but I don't think it was as uh, <laughs> as nice as that. And then our friendship ended. But um, anyway, that was really, <laughs> yeah, that was really unfortunate. It was yeah. really intense. And um, and I, I regret doing it so publicly. But I just, at that point, I had, I just, it's that thing where it's like, I, I think not everyone is equipped to do an intervention. Like in hindsight, over the last few years, I, I keep thinking about that moment and how I might have done it differently in a way that caused less trauma mm-hmm. um but uh yeah well yeah. i think i think i believe like overall the mistakes that um because i live with like a lot of regret um but and i replay things in my mind a lot but what? i uh, asian people what what How's women i doubt what? it <laughs> but like things cycle back in yeah. terms of like well how would i do this differently like i yeah. bet there's gonna be another opportunity to just like do it differently mm-hmm. and it I think, you know, learning from that experience is, like, the best you can take from, like, that, you know, like, and that person, if they're not listening to you, like, I've also learned to just not take on too much of, you know, if they don't want to be helped, then you cannot move forward, you know? It's also, yeah, I think sometimes, this gets into some deep shit, but, like, I 
<laughs> I feel like in my mind, when I think about how I wish people would have dealt with me, I'm assuming that they're all reasonable people mm -hmm. that are smarter than me, that are mentors. And it's like, but they're not. Like, we all are working through our own stuff and are not completely balanced people who are just standing around at the aid for others. Am I, am yeah. I is, what I'm it's talking about like makes sense? It's not like a vacuum, basically. Yeah. Like we're not all like, like one person's out of whack and then everyone else is like stable. Sane and, and yeah. you know, having a sane brunch and right. talking. Like they all have lives and stuff they're navigating too. And this many years ago, a friend said to me, your friends and your family should never be your therapists. And I was like, Whoa. <laughs> because in my mind, I think I had always expected that of my friends and got and lost many friendships because I was frustrated that people weren't, you know, I'd tell them my issues and they weren't fixing it. And I feel like that's what happened in the situation I named yeah. with my then sex worker friends. I think she expected the same sort of balance and patience that I lack, right? I lacked at that time that really, um, you know, there's only so long I can listen to this and just feel like there's nothing left I can do, but, but, push some tough love down your throat and risk our friendship. And, and I think at that point I, I just felt so drained, like listening to these stories and I just didn't know what else to do. And I do feel like, cause I've, I've read her blog and stuff since. And I feel like she, she, and she references, you know, she talks very publicly <laughs> about this moment that we had and, and, um, and which is why I haven't, you know, I don't want to go back through the fire and go, Hey, um, but, uh, I, I feel like that she expected me to, to have this measured sensibility. It's like, hello, I'm torn into depression and suicide. You know, like I don't, I obviously am not perfect either in dealing with it. And it's a very hard thing to accept, right? That, that other people can um, have a, <laughs> that, that, that not everyone is equipped to, to help you the way you, you'd want to be helped. Does that make sense? Like, yeah. No, totally cool. Uh, should, should, do you want to do a card? Do you want me to do a card? Sure, you can do one. Oh, man, I meant we should all do I'll a card. It, I like you when you riff, Vanessa. Uh, no, no, yeah, Vanessa's a good riffer. No. You should have a job as a riffer. Vanessa, the riffer, riffer. riffer. Oh, crap. <laughs> okay, so the card I got is called False Self. Wow. I'm mm. like, oh, well, that's... Personas. Tough. I know, right? right? All appropriate. Um... Noun, the person one pretends to be in order to avoid admitting flaws or internal conflict. <laughs> what? I've never heard of that before. <laughs> Characterized by constant pageant face, smiling from ear to ear without reason, misinterpretation, oh, lying on a resume, great I. first being dates. Being Asian. <laughs> being a perfect Asian. Uh, great <laughs> first dates followed by short-lived relationships, mm -hmm. two-faced, Gemini. And then the quote is, I'm marrying a man who only knows my false self. I mean, like at the same, yeah, I, false self. What, we, what what is there to not say about false self, right? I think that we all live with it, and um, there's a sense of uh, what's, a, what's a version of your false self? I think the like one that I've always had to struggle with growing up is this um, idea that I'm the happy person, the mm -hmm. like the laughy jokey person, which I think you referenced in Exo Jane mm -hmm. too, and it's like. Um, uh, and we talked about this last week, but a lot of people who do make other people laugh are deeply sad inside. And, yeah. And they oh my God, comedians are so depressed. So depressed. Like, they're always taking drugs. Um, my drug is well, caffeine. Not, not all of us. But oh, wait, wait. <laughs> so they're always taking drugs. Signed, Vanessa Yee. Sincerely, Vanessa Yee. This is fact. Um, no, 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 no. Um, they, we all have our specific way of medicating, right? Um, yeah. And... Uh, 
mine recently has been watching like back-to-back episodes of archer anyway so <laughs> just something that makes you laugh and that it just takes you out of whatever it is but i think um yeah so growing up the false self was um this funny person and i i get still get mad at like when i see people who used to know me who are like oh vanessa you're like you're like you know you're like my homegirl and we always laugh and and then i, w- I want to go like look this is not always me all the time guys like y- you know like you don't know me now but you should you, you know like i'm different i'm nuanced i'm like all these things and then but then you know what can you say at reunions it's it's one of those things where you're like oh and here's all my shit you know like and you lay it on the lay it out on the table and it's it doesn't it doesn't work like that it's it's what <laughs> do you want to say something do you think that your documentary is like trying to sort of present a more fuller conception of yourself to people? You know, that's a great question. I I think that in a lot of ways, like that, that time in college when I was putting out those blog posts was my way of saying, like I used to put out these like live journal, like intense, like blah, blah, so sad kind of blog posts without saying I'm like depressed. Cause to say you're depressed, like that means like that word is such a blanket, right? right? Yeah. And it, it, it just, it just, it categorizes you like people resort the you yeah. in their mind oh yeah and that's why it's like <laughs> scary right um and that's why um i don't know i don't think the documentary was ever intended to say like hey this is a fuller thing and it's more like me acknowledging like oh people are gonna see this that's the process i'm going through it's like uh, people are gonna have access to this different vanessa and it's actually a much more somber portrait of who i am but um yeah, that's why we're doing the podcast. But also, um, I don't know. I think slowly, little by little, that false self will be revealed. But even then, I'm still discovering things where um, about myself where I'm like, I thought I was an easygoing person, but I'm really not. Like, if you if you watched me at work, like, you would know, like, Vanessa's kind of crazy. And, like, I watch other people who operate in a crazy way because that's reality TV. Like, I work in post-production and reality TV. Mm-hmm. And people there... about constructed realities. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, and, and, and you know, like, even in, in behind the camera and behind the scenes, like, everybody's working really hard to make this thing go to air. Like, every week, it's something new. And, and people bend over backwards or bully or do really, like, they're really abusive behaviors behind the scenes mm-hmm. of making television. And I don't want to be those people. And I see it in other people and then I always have to do a check with myself and the way that I treat people under me people above me my peers and things like that and you know like this false self of Vanessa being like really chill and stuff like that like I'm like "Mm, that's not me you know but uh slowly by slowly slowly day by day we figure those things out I guess hopefully do you want to do a card really quick or do we have questions I have one question um this question comes from Tiffany Lynn she is a friend of mine and um we like to do three amazing things when someone you know is a good sport and and uh, asks us a question and uh, oh yeah so the three amazing things about tiffany lynn she's basically like my little sister and i love her a lot um she's one of those people who you might meet and sort of put her in a box like you understand who she is but she's constantly surprising me and just how thoughtful and smart and and wonderful she is as a person. And uh, I call her my wet noodle because when she gets drunk, you cannot grasp her. She just slips through your fingers like a wet noodle. So those are three amazing things about Tiffany. 
Her question is, what is your best or worst dating story, Christina? Oh, um, it was one of these Asian fetish dudes. It was like this guy, is Captain Dave on OkCupid. Okay I think Captain with a K. So I don't know if he's still on there. <laughs> OKC stories are the best. And um, <laughs> I was, we were just talking and he, like, was this, it was like, the, we sort of have like personas of each other, what we believe. And I was like, oh, you, he, he like... He rides a boat. That's cool. I want to get on a boat. Like, and I'm looking at those pictures. I'm like, there are Asian women in every and almost and oh. like half of these photos. And I just said, I wrote him and I said, so what? What's up with the uh, with all the Asian women in your photo? I just before I met him in person, and he's like, he's big. Like, I don't appreciate these shit tests. And I was like, wow, really mm. defense. And I was like, well, did I throw him a shit test? Huh? Mm. And then he was like. Um, and I was like, I don't think that was a shit test. It was a shit test. You still haven't answered the question. And then, and then it was like, uh, he said, if if we meet, I need you. To, why don't you leave the, your baggage in the in the closet? And I was just like, it was like this weird. It's like, oh please, let's meet. Yes, <laughs> it was weird, and we kept fighting, but looking, and then somehow, so we we agreed to meet. I don't know why. Oh, wow. I think it was just sort of this. Uh, so he comes, you know, to my place. And he says he's 5'10 on his profile. And I, I'm like, is he standing in a hole in the floor? Because <laughs> he's shorter than me. And I call him on it. And like immediately, I don't know about you, but when I usually see the date, immediately I'm like, oh. like, I, like, I know if I care or not, right? And I, yeah. he's so ugly. <laughs> Captain Dave. Okay, Cupid. Captain not 5'10. Not 5'10. And, and as we're walking, I'm like, you're shorter than me. I just call it out. <laughs> gotta call it out, yo. You just did I? Did we get unplugged? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So um, I don't know. We just I don't know. We got on the topic. I'm trying to. Uh, somehow we ended up talking about white privilege, and he was like, "I don't understand what privilege you're saying I have." And you know, I went to this. It was all this shit. Like you know, I was the only. I went to a Catholic school, and I was the only non-Catholic. I got picked on, and it's just like that's not what this. I was just so angry. I actually ended up paying for dinner to get out of there. And then I was like, God, I just, I don't even want to get a ride back home. But I was like, I'm not going to pay for a cab. I'm going to sit in this car on the ride back and call him on all this shit. And it was just like, <laughs> so, but it was just gross that I paid. And I was just like, I don't know why I didn't just go with my gut. Like something is not right here. He doesn't know how to talk about race. He's lying about his height. He's ugly. Captain Dave on OkCupid. And with a K. Captain with a K. Captain with a K. It's, it's either Captain with a K or it's Captain with a C. That guy probably has an Asian fetish too. Who knows? But, um, <laughs> and uh, I don't know. I just remember being really angry with how naive he was talking about Ray. Oh, no. He, he was saying like, oh, well, maybe I date. Because I was saying, well, why? He was trying to say how it was not a preference, but he goes for the Asian women because they tend to go for him back. And I was just like, and I was just like, why? Because they're weak. They're weak little deer. And you're yeah. like the colonial warrior. Like, I don't, I just don't understand this logic of thinking. I guess he had never been forced to think about it right. in confrontational ways. Right. Cause that's probably why he was dating Asian women. And, um, I'm going about this story all over the place. The point is don't date this guy, ladies. <laughs> Stay away. Stay away. He's not even gonna pay for your fucking food. Red so. flag. Red flag. Short. So, Oh, you know what's so gross? I was like, you're short. He's like, you want to see my driver's license? I'm like, why? So I can, so I know that you lied to the DMV too. <laughs> like it's, it was just like you gotta call shit out when you see it. Like don't go on a horrible date. Like call that shit out. You're an Asian woman, or you're just a woman in general. 
and just call shit out as you see it <laughs> and go home angry <laughs> and write a blog and then go on TV like I did. <laughs> but, um, boom. Boom. I love it. I'm just calling people. I'm calling out dudes. So it's, it's awesome. Well, Christina has a worst dating story. Do you have a best? No, no. no, no Wait, we don't. oh man. This is like, there's only worst here. I, I, Dates the are worst- not great. Like, they're just something oh, that you do. God. It's a means to an end. And I, I, I just feel like uh, there's so many white dudes on OkCupid who just, just date. And I'm not saying that I just date white guys. Cause I or rather I would love to date like wonderful men of color. Yeah. And I, 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 I have my little like affirmative action thing where I'm like I'm seeking out qualified Asian men to date me, but they, I don't know why they see that I'm a performance artist and they jump ship. So it's crazy. <laughs> you think that they'd want to date with someone who gets dressed as a giant vagina I, and tells a joke? I, why? I think that I think a lot of people, not just Asian men, but just people and men. I think that they are very intimidated by creative people, especially women. And like they're living some boring ass life and then yeah. like you're doing something real cool and they're like, Oh, what do I have to say for myself? Oh. That's what I think. I I I have dated Asian men on OkCupid that I've just adored and then they're like, No, oh, I don't not for me and I'm like but I am. <laughs> I am. <laughs> Seriously, I, I, I mean, like, I've I've been on Coffee Meets Baker for a little while, uh-huh. but and and trying to like, I constantly get matched up with Asians, and I think they that's just their algorithm. But honestly, like, I get rejected. I think one because of the the creative thing, but also I don't fit the stereotype of like, yeah, yeah small. Like petite, pretty, cute Asian girl. Yeah. Like I just I don't, and so like in my head I told myself I do. <laughs> I fit that stereotype. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> with, with my like the only thing petite about me is my like my fingers. They're small fingers. Okay. Yeah. But like but like basically give it up. Give me those. <laughs> like, give me those fingers. Like, look at look, look, look at these <laughs> stupid little thumbs. But like. I have stupid mm, little. Give thumbs. me those stupid little thumbs. <laughs> <laughs> Two thumbs up. But they're stupid and little. Um, they 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 see the pictures and they're like, Arr. oh yeah, okay, <laughs> yeah. Um, and and it's just uh, like it's it's double sided. This this thing where like you know like guy females don't want to date Asian guys and you know like white guys only want to date Asian girls, but like Asian guys are still very judgmental about you know the females. The that ones that dating. we're meeting. There there's got to yeah. be some diamonds in the rough. They're just all married to my my friends or something right or, right well, or gay or and believe me i go for the gay ones they don't go back i'm gonna flip them though i swear to you i believe it i i said just close your eyes just pretend and they and won't speak in a deeper yeah. voice yeah okay well thank you christina like <laughs> this christina. it was thank so you. good that was you. way too revealing but you know what that's what this is it's a podcast. <laughs> exactly it's about gut spilling all right Signing out. Thank you, everybody, for listening to The Bull and the Badger.